Welcome to Beyond Broken Hungry. We understand the struggle of juggling your career, relationships, nutrition, fitness, and finances while trying to pursue your dreams. And, you know, stay sane too. We're here to make that both simple and fun for you. In this podcast, we interview a variety of wellness experts to share their expertise with all of us and make this journey we call life just a little bit more balanced. We're stumbling towards wellness right alongside you and are so happy to have you with us on this journey. So with that in mind, let's jump right in to this week's episode of Beyond Broke and Hungry. Today, we are so excited to have Dr. Kua Woolbright joining us. She is a plant-based nutritionist working for the Whole Cities Foundation. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. So we wanted to just give everybody an overview, if you would, of what's your history? Where are you from? How did you get into nutrition in the first place? Okay, so I am originally from a small community that is literally down a dirt road, to another dirt road deep in rural Texas. So this is very small town. So I grew up on a farm where you are just naturally eating the bounty of the land, right? So there was no grocery stores nearby. If you want a snack, you went outside to the garden, you grabbed a tomato off the vine, you mm-hmm. wiped it on your pant leg, you ate it and you kept playing with your cousins, right? Mm-hmm. So I grew up surrounded with Uh, garden, plum trees, fig trees, pear trees, berry vines, and that was just normal living. Didn't even think anything of it or knew there was anything different from that. If you went to the grocery store, we we went once a week, which was on Friday. So whatever you got on Friday lasted you for the entire week. So Mm -hmm. early on, meal planning just was kind of second nature. It's kind of what you did as part of your lifestyle. And then getting into nutritional science came later. I was in college, and as college students do, you start thinking about changing the world and taking on these issues. And I met people who were vegan, and they were vegan mainly for environmental and animal rights. So that's how I started at 21 years of age. I wasn't a healthy vegan in the beginning. It was Mm -hmm. all about just staining from animal products. So you could still go to McDonald's and get an apple pie and a Coke, and say, I'm vegan. vegan. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm saving the animals, you know. And I was so self-righteous back then. I thought I had it together. You know, I was so right about it. It was so much more than that. By the time I was 23, living in Washington, D.C., and I was surrounded by naturopathic doctors and people who were really doing it for personal wellness, I quickly started to change and started learning about natural um, healing techniques, start studying a little bit around iridology and, and herbalism, studying Reiki. I became a Reiki master. So my first introduction to wellness was more of those alternative practices. Mm-hmm. And the type A personality that I am, yeah. I decided I need a PhD in nutritional science so I can really do more to help people. And that was really the motivation. That's awesome. So you kind of came from this small town and then went straight into just jumping right into veganism when you were young. Good for you, first of all. That is crazy. So tell us a little bit about um, what that journey was like for you. Like I know you were saying that just because you're vegan doesn't necessarily mean that you're healthy. How did you begin to learn how to really take care of your body with a plant-based diet over time? That's really a great question because so many people are thinking about becoming vegan or plant-based and they're two different things. Mm -hmm. So I want to make that clear because I use the terms interchangeably and Mm -hmm. plant-based doesn't mean plant perfect. It means you're basing your meals on more plants than anything else. Mm -hmm. And so I would tell people to give yourself an opportunity to grow into it. You know, just because you start in a certain place doesn't mean you have to end there. Because mm-hmm. I hear some vegans say they started out with lifestyle and then it didn't work for them or they didn't feel good in their bodies. So they went back to eating meat. And I'm not really judging it one way or the other. I just ask people, make sure if you're making those changes that you're doing it in the proper way so mm-hmm. that you know how your body would really feel on a optimal vegan diet not maybe the junk food vegan diet Mm -hmm. that I started out with. 
like I mentioned, I started out, you know, at 21, you know, went to DC, started my graduate um, program. At that time, I was getting a PhD in sociology, focusing on race, class, gender differences, and urban problems. So I had a career in policy. I worked for a lobbying agency, did some stuff for a, a congressman, did some work for the White House. So I was doing more food policy work, but still on the journey. Every talk about veganism, I was there. If there was a talk on wellness or spirituality, I just really committed myself. For me, that's so important. You can't just kind of take this on passively. For me, the more active and engaged you are, the more opportunities you will have for learning. So part of it for me was shopping at Whole Foods Market and other like stores where I could walk in and receive an inspiration. Mm -hmm. Because when you're into the lifestyle, you don't know everything. And so I made a commitment that each week I would try a new product. So if it was introducing myself to seaweed and then going home and trying to figure out what to do with it, or maybe I would go where we sell the supplements. And I would buy my first bag of goji berries or flaxseed powder and trying to figure out, well, is the flaxseed powder better ground or whole? And then just going home and doing the research and the learning around that. And so not being afraid of just having that experimentation really, I think, served me well. So the whole time I'm building my career over in the policy world, in my personal life, I was really digging into wellness. And at one point, it just became clear that I need to have a, a career change. About a decade into my lifestyle is when I decided to get the PhD in nutritional science so I could help more people. So if I could give any new vegan or someone who's just beginning to think about a lifestyle change, any advice, it would be to read everything you can. You know, I um, encourage people to surround themselves with information. I, I was subscribing to magazines. I was buying books. I would go into a grocery store or a co-op and read the bulletin board for the upcoming events. Mm -hmm. Just so that I'm immersing myself into a world because the rest of the world, all the restaurants you see when you drive down the road, your friends, family, and coworkers are living a completely different lifestyle. Mm -hmm. right. So you have to take some steps to insulate yourself and to support and encourage your own self so that the lifestyle doesn't seem so daunting. Mm -hmm. um, are you finding that nowadays, because veganism and this plant-based lifestyle has kind of become a little bit of a fad as well as a lifestyle mm -hmm. change, um, and there's so many different products that different companies are coming out of, you can now get vegan pizzas, you can have vegan ice cream, vegan milkshakes. Are you finding that being a vegan or living a plant-based lifestyle um, nowadays is a little bit easier than it was, say, 10 years ago, 15 years ago? I think it's easier and more confusing. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's easier because you have access to all of these products. The confusing part is that there are so many conflicting and competing messages about which approach is really ideal. Mm -hmm. You can go in the grocery store and grab all this packaged processed stuff off the shelves and go home and celebrate your veganism. You could really be setting yourself up for more health conditions. Right. Being vegan is not necessarily the most ideal diet. And the idea that you can just abstain from animal products and then fill up on junk food that is still just a bunch of empty calories with little nutritional value is just a mistake. Mm -hmm. So I encourage people to think less about being vegan and more about consuming whole foods from the earth, foods that you can see in your outdoor natural environment, walking, swimming, flying, growing. So these are foods made by nature, not by man. If the food manufacturing companies have overly processed your food, then you're probably moving yourself closer to disease and away from optimal health. So the closer you are to nature, the closer you are to consuming foods that will literally flood your body systems, organs and cells with nutrients and energy. The second part of my recommendation beyond this whole foods from the earth is really eating more plants than anything else. Not necessarily abstaining completely away from salmon or organic chicken, 
but eating more plants than anything else. And that includes green and colorful vegetables, colorful fruit, whole grains, legumes, and a few nuts and seeds, half your handful a day, unroasted, unsalted, and making sure in doing all of that, you're getting more color onto your plate than ever before. Because we know that the nutrients that can heal the body are in those colors. The purple, orange, yellow, red, green foods are nourishing to our bodies. And so that's really the message I like for people to think about. And if we use whole foods, plant-based as our touchstone, then we are on a better path to optimal health. And that's really more important to me than being vegan. I think that's a really good point. And um, so one thing I always thought was really interesting, I remember first hearing the the color method, like you were just saying, just make sure you're eating really colorful Eat foods. the rainbow. <laughs> Eat the rainbow. And yes. I realized how that make it makes so much sense. And a lot of the foods that are naturally really dark in color have even more of those nutrients, those deep, dark leafy greens, the antioxidant rich berries. And then you have like potatoes, which do have some nutrients in them as well. But like those really dark colors, like your apples, your carrots and things like that. I just thought that was a really interesting point that you touched on. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it can be fun too, to see how many colors you can get and to experiment with different types of red food. Like have I had red quinoa or red rice? When's the last time I had red kidney beans? You know, you can have so much fun just playing the color game at mealtime and seeing how much you can feed your brain, your ovaries, your lungs, your kidneys, because your organs need all of these different colors for them to be properly nourished and to operate at a very high level. So we want to get as much nourishment in as possible. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'd love to kind of segue a little bit to your job now and um, your work with your clients as a nutritionist and working for Whole Foods, if you could tell us a little bit about that. I'll go back in time a little bit. So in 2009, our founder, co-CEO, John Mackey, decided that he wanted to shine the spotlight back on to our fresh, natural, organic foods. Um, because the company, you know, is also known as a foodie spot. Mm-hmm. And we love that. It's great they come there for their gourmet meals and ingredients. But Um, our history was really surrounded by no natural organic foods. And he wanted to make sure that our customers were able to access the information and feel that inspiration in our stores as well. Well, part of that programming led to us developing this healthy eating program that at the time was called Health Starts Here. And part of the Health Starts Here program included opportunities for our team members, our employees to go away for a week with a medical doctor who uses food as medicine. So for seven days, They're learning medical nutrition content. They're exercising, they're working out. You saw people coming off medications by day four or five. Wow. And so I think for me, that was very inspiring. And I wanted to do that with more people. So when we took our team members away for these programs, I was really struck by how quickly people were able to turn their biometrics around. And I wanted to share the information out with communities, particularly communities of color, where access to plant-based nutrition may not be as prevalent. And so that's really what led me to do a lot of this work for Whole Foods Market. And then our former co-CEO, Walter Robb, was really spearheading um, the opening of a Whole Foods Market store in Detroit and wanted me to join the advanced team and to come here and lead nutrition education outreach. And when I moved here in 2012, I was really struck by people's interest in the message. And the following grew beyond my expectations and very quickly. People were coming to class asking those hard hitting nutrition questions because they wanted to have more control of their own health outcomes. As one of my colleagues here um, says often, People are interested in becoming their own doctors. Mm-hmm. Right. They want the information they can use themselves to change their diets, 
and lifestyles so they can live longer, healthier lives. And so that's what we saw with our initial work with Hopeless Market was that our employees were having these immediate successes and changes in their biometrics. They were losing weight and keeping it off. And then what was interesting is when I took that same model and applied it in a community where people weren't sequestered for a week at a resort, they were able to go home and implement these changes. They were having the same results. And why? I think because my work in the community doesn't just give them information. I make sure that I make it fun and lively and hip. We're doing t-shirt toss. We're giving away prizes. So that's the inspiration part of it, to make it fun, to make it exciting. People will stand outside in Michigan cold weather for three hours for what they call a Dr. Cool production. Wow. Right? And then the third part after information and inspiration is support. Having those ongoing classes over time and providing it in a community setting where people are coming together each week, sharing food and information, they're able to really maintain these changes at home as they move through their regular lives and routines. So through all of that community engagement and nutrition outreach work that we did back in 2012 in Detroit, the Host Cities Foundation was born. And now the mission of Host Cities Foundation is to increase access to fresh, healthy foods and sound evidence-based nutrition information. And that's really the focus of my work. That's amazing. When you put on these uh, Dr. Akua productions, um, <laughs> uh, what, is a, what are a couple questions, uh, maybe one or two, that you seem to get frequently from people that attend your classes? You know, it's really all over the place. You know, I think people are just uh, coming with their own medical questions. So we get a lot of questions about, you know, diabetes and high blood pressure, a lot of questions around cancer. And so we get a lot of questions based on people's own health concerns. So I spend a lot of time focusing on that. And that's what really separates my work from a lot of others who are doing it. Because I have a PhD in nutritional science and I've been you know, in the health and wellness field for decades now. I'm prepared to give people that sound evidence-based information that can help them make some changes so they can perhaps come off medications and be in their bodies a little bit, bit more ease. So that's a, a big part of our program is answering those health questions. Mm-hmm. And then people want to know about feeding children. Mm-hmm. You know, people want to know, you know, about, you know, d- cooking. They want, they want cooking ideas and culinary tips. So we definitely make sure that we have chefs come in and do a lot of cooking demonstrations, a lot of hand-on instructions so people can go home and do it easier. So I get a lot of questions about those kinds of obvious things. And then anytime there's a new fad, I'm going to get hit with those questions. What about goji berries? Goji berries are great, but you can't just throw them on top of your mac and cheese and your ribs and (laughs) call it a (laughs) day. Like, I love that I get all these questions about the individual, you know, the next thing that's going to save someone's life that they heard on a TV show. But I like to just encourage people that it's still critical to change the entire diet, the entire lifestyle. And then the supplements, the superfoods are great add-ons. Mm-hmm. That's not the answer in and of themselves. As you were talking about, a lot of people come to you with their own personal health issues and say, hey, how would nutrition fix this? Could you just give us an example of, say, with, well, actually, Dara has PCOS. What is something you would say to her for great first steps for someone that has PCOS? So this is the part of my work that probably frustrates people because I end up saying the same thing kind of over and over again. Mm-hmm. Whether it's PCOS, high blood pressure, diabetes, cancer, arthritis, inflammation, migraines, I'm always going to start with whole foods, plant-based. Mm-hmm. So ground zero is cleaning up the diet. So what you will never hear me teach is portion control and moderation. I, I don't teach that. Mm-hmm. I teach about food's ability to either heal or harm. In, in our programs, we're taught there's no bad foods. 
And I'm gonna label them as bad foods, but I wanna just ask really hard hitting questions. Will this apple heal my body? Does it have potential to do my body good, right? What about this bowl of hot Cheetos? It might do the soul some good, but I don't know about the body. <laughs> right, right, right. And, and that's a good point there. Like, like being really honest about that. I don't eat perfectly. There's some things I want to eat because I want to eat it. Right. But I don't trick myself into thinking it's healthy by saying, oh, it was baked Cheetos or it's a diet-free soda. Right. You know? I only I get, counted out 32 because that's the serving size. The serving size, like, oh, you know this. Oh, she's been counting Cheetos. Right? Yes. <laughs> I do count my macros and every now and then, you know, got to get, get the measuring cup out just to make sure I'm doing it right. <laughs> I don't want to overeat, okay? Yeah, no, but you're right though. You're right. So like, for me, it's really about being clear about a food's ability to heal the body. So I don't teach portion control. I don't teach moderation. I don't teach balance. I don't teach any of that because I believe people are going to do those things on their own. And so the first step to anyone who has a health concern is whole foods, plant-based, rainbow. After that, for someone with PCOS, I would really want to focus on those high-fiber foods, you know, broccoli, cauliflower, those dark green leafy vegetables that roughage from the plant kingdom. I would want to think about, you know, which foods can be more anti-inflammatory, like the fatty fish, like the salmon, the herring, the sardines. I would want to have someone take a fish oil, probably even twice a day. If someone's vegan and they don't want to do fish or fish oil, then I'm going to look for those plant-based omega-3s. I'm going to look at the nut and seed family, walnuts, chia seed, flax seed, right? So that's really where I would start. And then, you know, maybe some spices like turmeric, garlic, ginger, like just different things to help the body bring down some of that heat and to bring down some of the inflammation and helping the body to heal but I haven't worked so hard because when we eat non-food stuff that the body doesn't recognize, it's trying to figure out where to put it and, and how to utilize it. And we're making our organs and our systems overwork. So I would want just to pull back on the processed junk, convenient, and fast foods. I would want to pull back on the fatty foods, added sugar, alcohol, sodas. And I would want to focus on flooding the system's organ cells and DNA with high fiber foods from the earth and then adding in some of those spices and things that can help with inflammation. So that would be where I would start. Does that resonate with you? It sounds like I'm getting hungry. <laughs> like I want to go eat a massive salad. Right, and put some chia seeds on there, mm -hmm. you know, sprinkle them in. Yes. yes. <laughs> That's awesome. So yes. what are um, some examples of how people have really benefited from your nutritional advice? So we do 28 day healthy eating challenges every year. And we do it um, in February because I like to wait long after the holidays so people can really come down off of that celebratory high and Super Bowl and all those things. Yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah so February 1st, through the 28th, we focus on eating the same way all together. And each year is a little bit different. We may do a detox challenge. We may do the elimination diet, which a lot of people find very helpful because even when I give recommendations about whole plant foods, each individual still have a food trigger. Like I can't really do peppers, right? So even though it's plants, I still, my body doesn't like it. My mm. body, I can feel my body respond to it. So um, understanding do I bloat? Does my skin get dry or start to itch? Or do I just feel discomfort in my stomach as I'm consuming certain foods? So when we do this, we see people having some pretty remarkable changes. One lady um, started the challenge with throat polyps that she was going to have to have biopsied, and she was very concerned that it could be malignant and, and be something that could be really life-threatening for her. By the time she completed the challenge, she had figured out that her body didn't like corn and she had completely eliminated corn in all its formats and all the secret ways that it hides and she didn't have to have the biopsy at all. And I love when those kinds of things happen. I get calls from people's doctors saying, so what did you do with this person? What happened? You know, it happened so quickly. So that was a story that I really liked. Um, another lady, uh, one of our seniors was having a lot of arthritis and swelling in her joints. She would come to class sometimes barely able to walk. And by the end of the 28-day period, her joint pain had cleared up. 
she said she felt younger than she had in years. Um, she felt like she could exercise again. She was feeling good in her body. We've had people lose 100 pounds and keep it off. We've had people get rid of migraines that they had been suffering with for so many years. We've had people shrink their fibroids. We are so habitual with our eating. We think because we grew up eating that way that we have to continue eating that way. We think there's certain foods you have to get at the movie theater. Like we just are like robotic when it comes to our food choices. And it may seem radical to ask people to completely change the diet, but the benefits outweigh the change or the sacrifice. And I just try to get people to see that. And so when we do these challenges, the last day we come back for a feast and we try to make the food so good, they're not gonna miss anything anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and have them share their testimonials out loud with each other. And so they're, re they're getting this reinforcement for each other. I had a naturopathic doctor call me and say, hey, I've been working for this, with this couple for the last several years and they come to you and they lost the, the excess pounds they've been trying to lose for so long. And I think it's because I'm very no nonsense about it. I'm really clear, very strict, very firm, but then also very loving in that I'm gonna meet you where you are mm -hmm. things that you are ready and able to make, but we're not gonna lie to ourselves about where we are either. Like we're gonna be very honest about how far we're able to go and where we still have room. I think when you get really clear with people, I think they have a better chance of making some changes. Yeah, absolutely. I um I two years ago I did that the it's a fad diet, I guess you could say, but I did whole 30. I tried um doing that for 30 days and obviously it's you know pretty much heavily gluten-free and dairy-free. Um and two years ago I was like, oh my God, eating cheese is going to be the hardest thing to get rid of. Cheese is a love language for me. Like <laughs> I was like, how am I gonna not eat this? <laughs> And after doing that challenge, I felt so amazing from not having heavy, no, not having gluten and not having dairy that in these last two years, I very, very, very rarely have cheese in my refrigerator. Um, all of my creamers are dairy-free creamers. Um, I actually like the dairy-free pizzas, you know, and I'll get them occasionally. I'm not really a big pizza person, but eliminating dairy in my life has been an exceptional change that I've made, including gluten as well. And I actually just recently did another Whole30 challenge a little, little under a month ago. Before I did the challenge, I started to notice, yes. So the first time I did the Whole30 challenge, um, like I said, I was very very much like cheese is my love language. How am I supposed to give this up? This is going to be the hardest 30 days of my life, yada, yada, yada. And didn't really feel as sluggish. I didn't feel as weighed down or as bloated. And um, after doing that whole 30 challenge and just feeling really great, I kind of decided, you know what? Like I didn't, and I, after eating dairy or eating cheese again after that, I was like, I don't like how I feel when I'm eating this. And it reminded me of how I felt kind of all the time before doing this challenge. Mm -hmm. um, so I very, the last couple of years, I mean, I don't even buy cheese hardly if I go to the grocery store. All my creamers are non-dairy. Um, most of the dairy, the dairy products that I would eat or consume or use are non-dairy. Um, I'll still eat cheese every now and then. I, I kind of live that like balance lifestyle more than anything, but I try to stay away from it as much as possible. Um, I'm sometimes just not in the mood for it, so I'll just get no cheese. Um, same thing with, with gluten and bread and things like that. Um, and then when I did it this, this second time around, um, I had started to notice before I started the Whole30 challenge that my skin was like right around my eyes and like under my, like under my eyes and on my um, temple area was randomly really dry and around my face, like, so it was dry. My mom made a joke that I might be turning into a mermaid um, or something <laughs> like that. Um, and I, so, but after doing for um, doing the whole 30 again for about two weeks, my skin completely cleared up and it was so smooth and it was fine. And then after, after finishing the challenge, I had a couple pieces of bread and some cheese and next day, instantly the skin was, was scaly again. See, that's it. I mean, you're hitting on it right there. Mm -hmm. I, I mentioned to you earlier about Hopeless Market taking our employees away for a week and people are seeing that by day four or five, they're coming off medications they've been on for years. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, reducing, they're reducing insulin. Mm -hmm. They're coming off blood pressure medication or in our community programs, we do those 28 day challenges. People are having those personal experiences that convinces them right. that it's necessary to make the change. Absolutely. So I can say it you know, all day long, 
But when someone has that individual experience and they feel better in their body, it speaks so many more volumes, mm -hmm. right? And that's where the change, I think, becomes lasting because you have your own, your own experience with it. You have your own relationship with it. And you can examine your own relationship with food and make those decisions. You know, I, you know, you may ask yourself, I love bacon, but does bacon love me? Right. Right. I love cheese, but does cheese love me back? Mm -hmm. And is it worth me being in this unhealthy relationship? So I think that those are the kinds of experiences you've had with it. Oh, yeah. And that really is exciting to me. Absolutely. And it, you know, and it, and it feels good. And I mean, like, I, I notice if I do eat cheese, that it doesn't make me feel like this awful sluggish person, but it doesn't make me feel good. Like, I don't, I don't feel energized. I don't feel like I, I don't, my stomach is a little uneasy, not like enough mm -hmm. to where it's an out, maybe an allergy or anything like that, but it's not flowing through my body the way that broccoli and salmon and sweet potatoes, like that whole meal would do. Whereas if I added some goat cheese to it, then it kind of, kind of slides mm -hmm. through my, through my body a little bit different. So taking those things and just really limiting them to as, to as close to zero as possible has just been, I feel amazing just from making the, those two changes in my life. Yes. And that mindfulness, right? Mm -hmm. Really taking the time to slow down and to connect with our bodies is so important. Mm -hmm. You know, when we, when we first started living with COVID-19 and we were sheltering in place, different people responded to that in different ways. You know, some people were really struggling with being home and slowing down. I was encouraging people to use this as an opportunity to be in the kitchen more, to cook mm -hmm. more homemade foods, and to pay attention to how your body feels. Because sometimes we're so busy and we're running through our, our lives so rapidly, you don't have time to even connect with your own self. So I think that the mindfulness and the awareness around the way foods makes us feel can be so informative. Absolutely. That actually um, is a good way to, seg to segue into the, you mentioned the COVID-19 and how everybody kind of responded to that with all of that going on. Um, how were you, how, or were you even able to continue to educate people and, and have them ask questions and give them advice? Um, I know you said that you were encouraging people to stay in the kitchen, but how did that look um, during this COVID-19 lockdown? So it definitely changed things for us because we were right in the middle of our heaviest teaching season. Mm -hmm. um, so we had to shut down pretty abruptly. So with my, my core followers, I continued to communicate with them just via email. Mm -hmm. But what, is, what it gave me an opportunity to do was to start working on the online platform. We're not quite there yet, but it's something that I've been needing to do for years now. And each year we teach so much in all of these cities around the country that just finding time to make it all happen Right. always seem to escape me. So another gift of this period has been the gift of time to really mm -hmm. focus on the online, online platform. So that will be coming soon. So hopefully people will look out for um, the Dr. Akul Woolbright um, brand and some opportunity to learn with me online. But for my core students, you know, they were all close. And that's part of this work is having those relationships with my students. Right. And so I've kept in touch with them via email. I sent out group emails to them with detailed um, recommendations, recipes, information, so that they can continue to do the work without my presence. And I've said to them, hey, look, you know, you've been following me for years. Mm -hmm. This is an opportunity for you guys to really apply it sure. and to see if you can do this without the ongoing classes. They've received the information and now it's really up to them to start um, making those changes independent of me and these weekly classes. So I've been hearing back from some of them and they're doing great. Um, others, of course, want that, that time and that support. Right. So I can't wait to be able to get back to them to give them that. Yeah, absolutely. So with um, maybe people who are a little bit lower income or are super busy and tight on a tight budget, what would you recommend for, I know a lot of people will say, oh man, my produce, I'm not going to have time to cook it. It's going to go bad before I have time to eat it. And mm -hmm. it's so expensive. And how, what are you kind of, what do you recommend as far as that goes for somebody who doesn't have a ton of time and doesn't have a lot of money to work with? For me, it's all about keeping meals simple. 
You know, when I first adopted a vegan lifestyle, I was trying to be a gourmet chef because <laughs> I came from I came from farm life. So I really thought meals had to be all these different parts, right? So I was trying to cook that way. And it was just exhausting. I don't have time to spend hours in the kitchen. I just don't. Some people love cooking and God bless them. They can go do that gourmet cooking. For me, I'm trying to get in and out of the kitchen in under 30 minutes. So one of my go-to things um, is a one-pot meal. Mm -hmm. You know, I want it all in one pot. Mm -hmm. And if it could be a crock pot, that's even better. I can start it in the morning and it can cook all day. I can work. I can raise my son. I'm a single mother, so my time is limited. Mm -hmm. So if I can do it in one pot or a crock pot, slow cooker, that's even better. So I do a lot of stews and soups and bean chilies. So that's really kind of my go-to. And it's more affordable because I'm eating more simply. I can literally eat a pot of bean chili and I'm happy. You know, my meal can be, you know, pinto beans, brown rice, broccoli, and sweet potato. And one sweet potato will last me three days because I'm not eating the entire sweet potato because for me, it's too much starch, right? right? It's too sweet, it's too starchy. So I try to stay away from the starchy vegetables and do more of those green, colorful vegetables um, with a little bit more um, roughage and fiber, like the broccoli, the cauliflower. So for me, I can make a meal off of a few sides and I'm really happy with that. So think about how affordable a bag of dry beans is mm -hmm. or a bag of brown rice. And if you really want to um, have a shortcut, I do use canned beans. It's the one can product I will use. I'll buy canned black beans, you know, unsalted, no aluminum in the can, and I will rinse those off. I can make a curry black bean, or I can make a bean chili, or I can make a taco or a burrito. I can do a breakfast wrap with a can of black beans. I can go in so many different directions. It can become the top of my salad, mm -hmm. right? I can do the same thing with chickpeas. Can of chickpeas, no salt, no aluminum in the can. Rinse that off. I can make hummus. I can put it in a blender and make like a sandwich spread that can spread on a gluten-free <laughs> gluten toast with avocado, lettuce, tomato, red onion, just half of a sandwich. And I'm happy with that. I can make a soup. I can make a stew. I can make a curry chickpea. With a can of chickpeas, I can go so many different places. Mm -hmm. So for me, I encourage people to think more simply about the foods they're eating and if you want ideas, think about some of the foods you like. If you like shepherd's pie or casserole or fajitas, just Google quick and easy vegan fajita, quick and easy, you know, vegan taco or whatever it is that you want. Mm -hmm. And by using the keywords quick and easy, you'll avoid some of those gourmet recipes that can have 15 ingredients listed and all those steps and get something you can cook in just a few minutes. I'm even put 15 minute stew, mm, right. 30 minute soup. I'm doing that intentionally because I don't want to be in the kitchen all day. And by me limiting my ingredient list, I'll have less waste, less things mm. I don't get to go all the way through before the week is over. So that's one of my ways of doing it. I ask people to think about dry and bulk foods. I ask people to think about the types of produce that are a little bit more shelf stable, like the sweet potatoes and the apples that they can buy in bulk while they're on sale and can last for several weeks. Mm -hmm. um, there's other things like berries you can buy while they're on sale and freeze for later. You know, I, I have some of my students who are doing ride shares to, to, to go to the grocery store together, or they're combining their trips into one day if they know they're going to be across town where there's their church or maybe their hospital, they can go grocery shopping at that same time. And this really helps people who live in some urban areas where they struggle with food access, where there's not a major grocery store in a two mile radius of where they live. So I just ask people to write down their barriers and their challenges, just write them down, face them head on, mm -hmm. and then also write down a solution for each one. And sometimes it may require some creativity but I want people to move from inaction to action. So to get past our barriers, we have to start strategizing. And we may have to ask for support and help from our neighbors, families, and friends 
but um, usually when I work with people, we can always find a solution. There's, there's never been someone that I've worked with where we were just like threw our hands up and there was no solution, mm-hmm. right? There's always some way to get around the barrier. And so I just encourage people who are listening to really look at their lives and know they're worth it. That's the first place, knowing that you're worth it and knowing that you will do what you have to do by any means necessary to get it done. And one of the examples I like to give is if you were a mother and you had an infant, you would, you would for most of us, I mean, for some people, it's going to be impossible because they have so many barriers. But for most of us, we can figure out where to get a diaper, right? For most of us, we can figure out how to pack that diaper bag. As adults, we don't give ourselves that same care. We get up and we run through our day. And then we get somewhere where there's no food for us and, and we're scratching our heads. And so for me, because I know my diet is a certain way, I have to have a thermos so I can put my hot food in my thermos and take it with me. Or I have to have a cold thermos for my smoothie. I have to have my snacks. I have to have my pre-packed salad. I, when I travel back to rural Texas, I take a neutral bullet because I know for the first two or three days while I'm there, I'm not going to know what to eat because I'm surrounded by a Dairy Queen and, and the fried fish joint. Right. But I know I will find a grocery store or farm in the rural South. So if I have my Nutribullet and a pack, just a Ziploc bag of protein powder, clean, plant-based, superfood filled protein powder, at least when I first get there, I can eat. Maybe I pack some still um, still cut oatmeal, Mm -hmm. right? And I can get there and find some berries to add to it. So I think about myself as I'm moving through my day, mm-hmm. like as if I had an infant and I knew I had to pack the diaper bag. I knew I had to be prepared for that infant. If I was dropping that kid off at day or night care center somewhere, mm-hmm. I would have to send that child prepared. And so I really think about myself the same exact way. My son is 16. He's never had a school lunch <laughs> ever. Right. So that requires some thinking. Mm-hmm. Like I have to think about on Sunday, what is he going to eat this week? Mm-hmm. Okay, is it going to be cold stuff? So let me make sure my freezer packs are in the freezer being cold so he can keep it chilled. Mm-hmm. If it's going to be hot stuff, let me make sure all the thermoses are clean and ready to go for the week. Right? So I would just say um, bringing mindfulness into the whole um, planning can help those of us who are busy, those of us who are committed to this lifestyle in spite of the world around us, mm-hmm. and those of us who are also on a budget. Absolutely. That's awesome. Um, so also going off um, of, you were talking a little bit about um, basically urban food deserts. Um, and so I would be really interested to hear a little bit more about um, how you were saying like carpooling is a great way for people to overcome that. But what are some other ways um, that, you know, if all you really have is fast food and a convenience store around you and you're you don't have a car, what do you recommend for some good first steps to getting healthy with your nutrition? Yeah, there's so many things that I see people in the community doing that inspires me. Because in neighborhoods that are food deserts, um, which I don't necessarily love that term, but we'll use it because it's the one that's most familiar. Mm -hmm. um, Those same neighborhoods are also oftentimes food swamps, which means they are communities where they're surrounded by the junk and fast food options. So you, you're void of a major national grocery store and you're inundated with fast food and junk food options. So it's, it's like a catch 22, right? So I see people doing, like I mentioned, the ride shares. Maybe they don't have a car, but they know someone who does. You know, maybe they have someone in the neighborhood who has a car and they pay them $10, take them to the grocery store once every two weeks or once a month. I've seen people do that. Um, I know there are some churches and organizations that sometimes will organize, you know, bus rides or van rides to the grocery stores for their congregations or populations. And so if that doesn't exist, uh, maybe there's an active resident who can be the one to initiate that and to organize that. I'm all about empowerment models and finding ways that for us to be involved in our own lives, but in the communities around us to um, bring those healthy options forward. Right? So sometimes it takes a resident who organizes some of that on behalf of themselves and others. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen people you know, use um, CSAs 
and this is where people can use you know collective buying to you know purchase produce at uh, in bulk at a lower um, rate and then every month every quarter how often however often their program delivers food the community is then dividing up um, that food um, so that you can get produce at a, a lower price um, right now I'm involved in a co-op um, the Detroit People's Food Co-op is um, going to come to Detroit soon and this would be an opportunity for people to buy um, I just have another option for fresh healthy foods and so I see people taking on so many different models and I just ask people to you know find those ways to get around the barriers and a lot of it a lot of what I see people doing is buying up food in bulk when they can go to the grocery store, right? And saving those foods for later. Because some of those bulk foods, especially like beans, you think about those dark black beans or those dark red kidney beans, they're shelf stable, they're inexpensive, and they have as many, if not more antioxidants than fresh berries. And so just thinking more broadly about what we're eating and keeping those meals simple just can be ways that people can navigate the food environment. Awesome. So kind of wrapping up here, what does balance mean to you? Balance to me, when we're talking about food, I think is for me, it's really about being really honest again about those foods that have the ability to heal and regenerate our bodies. And when we do make a, a decision to eat something that is not on our wellness plan or we eat something that would not be considered a medicine because I do see food as medicine then we we're doing with that type of joy and mindfulness we don't want to we don't ever want to get to a place where we're punishing ourselves or guilting ourselves it doesn't serve anyone doesn't serve our bodies doesn't serve our spirits so for the things that you love do that with joy and celebration but with mindfulness so that you hold yourself accountable and you come back to center when that's done. So an example for that is when I go to Washington, D.C., I am going to go to my favorite Mexican restaurant with my best girlfriend. Yes. We're going to go there, and we're going to order a pitcher of margaritas. Yes. And, 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 you know, and as I want to have salt on the rim of my glass, mm -hmm. and I want the vegan, I'm going to get the vegan burrito, but I want chips and sauce and guacamole the chips of this place, they're thin, they're hot, Ooh. they're right there, they come off the belt, you can watch them come down. Uh -huh. So I'm gonna do all of that, and we're gonna cheer, and we're gonna laugh, and we're gonna tell girlfriend stories, and we're gonna share secrets, and I'm fully in that moment. I'm yes. fully in that moment. But when I'm done, I lock that moment away, mm -hmm. I carry the memory and the joy with me, and I come back to my plan again. Sure. So I think that when we, when, we, when we get that clear, right? Balance to me mm. is, is, about, is about having clarity. When we get that clear and we don't resist the change. Sometimes I think people kind of resist the health eating change. You know, I hear people like, no, I'm gonna believe in portion control and moderation. And they kind of resist like that, that medical message. It doesn't hurt anyone, but you, it doesn't hurt me to resist mm -hmm. it. All right. So I just en always encourage people to embrace the healthy eating message mm -hmm. while giving yourself room to do some of the things you love with joy and then coming back to center. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's what balance looks like in my life. I love awesome. that. And I also love that it just, it's so much more joyful mm -hmm. and you can, in, you know, really have fun having some enjoying a piece of cake or some french fries Ooh. when you're mm -hmm. not if you're not doing it as often it becomes a treat right more, yes. more than if you're having yes. yeah something to be celebrated not so much like oh my god i ate a piece of cake like this is awful i'm gonna be thrown off it's like yeah i ate a piece of cake hey you <laughs> yes, know? yes 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 so yeah and i always tell i was i joke in class sometimes that you know, it's okay to have a piece of cake. You know, I'm from the South. My grandmother has some amazing pound cake recipes. If I'm down South and someone in my family makes a pound cake, I'm going to eat a slice of pound cake. Mm -hmm. But I often joke that every day is not your birthday. And every Sunday after church is not Thanksgiving. Right. So a lot of people find these excuses to just keep their houses stocked with cookies and ice cream and cakes every day. 
or every month even. And for me, it's not that often. It's like I do it when I want to. I have joy in those moments, but I'm also very um, clear about what my cells are asking for. I try to give myself those things. Absolutely. And another one of our, our fun wrap-up questions is we like to hear different uh, perspectives and opinions. What is your definition of nutrition? Nutrition to me are really those um, components in food that have the ability to restore health and vitality to our bodies, right? It is those macronutrients, vitamins, carbohydrates, those micro and healthy fats, right? Those micronutrients, vitamins, minerals, and then antioxidants, phytonutrients that literally have the ability to prevent and reverse disease. Mm -hmm. To me, that's nutrition and that's the work. And I try to encourage uh, my colleagues to get more clear around some of those recommendations so that we have the ability to help more people and people can feel the benefit of optimal nutrition in their own lives. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has been so awesome and so insightful and encouraging and motivating to um, continue to educate myself a little bit more on this plant-based diet. Um, Cause I do know that that has tons of, of health benefits. Um, but so our listeners know how they can follow you, find you, um, maybe reach out to you if they are interested in getting your perspective on some things, where, 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 what's your website, social media, things that people can find you on. Okay. So I will tell people that I am a person who will respond to emails and um, nutrition questions. So the best way really is to email me. Okay. And that is Akua, A-K-U-A dot Woolbright, W-O-O-L-B-R-I-G-H-T at wholefoods.com. Whole Foods is with an S dot com. And you also can go to the Host Cities Foundation website. There won't be a lot of information there right now because we're making some changes to that website. Mm -hmm. But coming soon, the Dr. Akua Woolbright social media pages and website will be up for people to receive more information there as well. Awesome. Well, thanks again so much for taking the time. We really enjoyed talking to you, Dr. Akua, and we hope you... Um, our listeners, we hope you guys really enjoyed this talk as much as we did. It was awesome. <laughs> All right, everybody have a great week. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you so thank much. You. We appreciate it. Thanks again for tuning into this week's episode. We really hope you enjoyed it. If you weren't already, be sure to subscribe to Beyond Broken Hungry wherever you get your podcast so you can be notified every time a new episode drops. It would also mean the world to us if you rate, review, and share the podcast too so more people can join the tribe. Follow us on social media at Beyond Broke and Hungry to interact with us and see how we're stumbling towards wellness one day at a time. <laughs>